0: Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net. Well, there's no doubt that the two major linchpins of our liturgical year, or our, our Christian calendar, are Christmas, and the second one is what? Easter, so Christmas and Easter, um, our Lord's birth and our Lord's resurrection. Those are, those really are our two principal dates. We also know that both of those celebrations, and they're big celebrations, and well, they should be, but both of them are preceded by seasons of preparation. We don't just waltz right up to the nativity or waltz right up to the open tomb. But we take seasons of preparation seriously, um, and those seasons of preparation are called Advent and Lent, Advent for the nativity, season of time just after Thanksgiving, where we begin to prepare our hearts and feel the rhythm, the rigor, of the journey of the Hebrew people as they move toward an expected a Messiah. For the season of Easter, the season that we're just about to embark into, it's the season of Lent, a time of fasting, a time of reflection, a time to do with our hearts what Jesus did with his, the Bible said, when he set his face for Jerusalem and he took a journey toward his cross. Without going into too much more detail, because it's not the final point today, but uh, without a lot more detail, suffice it to say that outside of those two seasons and celebrations, the rest of the space in the church's calendar year is essentially called, does anybody know what it's called? It's called ordinary time. After the 12 days of Christmas and Christmastide, which lead us to Epiphany, the celebration of the Lord's eruption onto the scene with his uh, miracle at Cana of Galilee, the water into wine, and the baptism of the Lord. After Christmastide and Epiphany, somewhere around the middle of January, between that time and Ash Wednesday, which this year is coming up for us March the 5th, and we'll have another Ash Wednesday service here, just like we have the prior three years, and hundreds of you will come, and it will be a, a blessing the way it always is. Ian Crone, our friend, will come and lead us again. That's just kind of one of the things Ian does for us, and it's always wonderful. Well, between Epiphany, Christmastide, uh, the Nativity and Lent is a space of about five or six weeks. And it's the first space in the church's calendar called Ordinary Time. Now, I want to say this about Ordinary Time. Lest we misunderstand what the church had in mind when it employed the word ordinary, I should tell you about Ordinary Time. When the church called this space Ordinary, it was not intending, this (laughs) this is important, it was not intending some of the accrued, later meanings of the word. When you hear the word ordinary, there are multiple definitions that come to mind, but some of the definitions that the church did not intend were not special, unexceptional, uh, average, of inferior quality, uninteresting, just an ordinary guy. Actually, when the church... Declared this space a holy space, the church was, uh, its lingua franca, its language was Latin, and the word was ordinalis, and ordinalis is a word that then and now referred to numbers used in a series, ordinal numbers, first, second, third, fourth, so um, the idea was the idea of ordering wasn't the ideal of being uninteresting or inferior it was just the idea of ordering and during this space the church would order its weeks Uh, ordinalis actually comes from the Latin word ordo from which we derive the word order so what I'm trying to tell you is the seasons of ordinary time and there are two after Pentecost up to Advent and after Epiphany and up to Lent two seasons of ordinary time these are not Unexceptional, unimportant, or uninteresting, or unspecial times of the year. In fact, if we get the church's intent right, I think we do, the the church was saying these are the spaces of time where we are to order our life. In light of what we just experienced in the Nativity, in light of what we just experienced in the resurrection, these are the times when we are to make sure our house is in order. The times when we celebrate our Lord's birth and resurrection, not just in a high and holy service where the whole church gets here, but these are the times when we celebrate our Lord's birth and resurrection in ordered form, practical form, by walking with Him in the pragmatic places of life. And so, in this first season of ordinary ordinary time as we're looking forward to the season of Lent and Easter, I think it's appropriate that in this space of ordered time we are having, you look around the room, we are having our annual volunteer service. This Sunday each year, we gather together and we remind ourselves of the beauty and the value and the importance of our local church called Grace Point. And when I look around, I see all kinds of beauty, value, and importance. I look around, and in the middle of saying beauty and value, I look over, and I see Kyle and Darcy Malone. And Kyle, I know you don't want to, but before you get out of here today, we're going to bring you up, we're going to lay hands on you and Darcy and pray for you, and you probably do want to by now. Kyle's heading out for what? Is this third? This is Kyle's third journey. Where are you going this time, Kyle? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And Darcy and a little girl that we love named Grayton are going to be here for 400 days. Is it going to be 400 this time? Yeah. Long time to be away. And so that's hard, and we don't like that, And yet we honor it and we do like it and we appreciate all that it means. But I'm thankful for a place that with all they've got to do, I I didn't even know if they'd be here today getting ready for him to go. But we're a part of something beautiful when a young man and his wife and daughter can gather and we can pray for them, Kent, and we can know that they're ours. This Sunday, this volunteer Sunday... It's a time when we remind ourselves of what it means to be a part of a local church, this church called Grace Point, and accordingly renew our individual commitments. Commitments to making this place the truly Christ-honoring place it was created to be. Because somewhere over on that wall, there's something that says prayer team And I'm promising you there are people who've signed up the last three years that every day of the next 365 days are going to be calling Grayton's name and Darcy's name and Kyle's name because they signed up on a day like this. This is not just a day of perfunctory signing up and putting names on paper. This is a day when we remind ourselves of how this thing really works, how it really operates, and what we have to do individually to make this place the beautiful place that it is. This is the day when we validate our Christmas and Easter worship. This is the day when we order our steps out of that illustrious vision of a risen Lord, a God who became flesh. And frankly, for that reason, in the middle of this ordinary time, I can scarcely think of a Sunday that is more important in the grand scheme of this church's life than this Sunday each year. Knowing that our greatest resource is God's presence with us, knowing that there is no resource we have greater, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Knowing that, we are reminded on this Sunday down from the mountain called Calvary, down from the mountain of transfiguration, down from the mount on which Jesus ascended, we are reminded that we have this incredible treasure in earthen vessels, in earthen bodies, in earthen organizations. Paul said we have this treasure in earthen Spaces, earthen institutions. And so, so it should always be our resolve on a day like this and throughout the year, it should be our resolve to honor the treasure within us, the presence of God within us by making sure these bodies, these organizations, these institutions are healthy, whole, and effective. You're not a healthy church if you look at a young couple separating for a year and one heading into harm's way and you tell them we'll be praying for you and then forget about it. You're not a holy place if there aren't actually people who take that name and drive it down through their knees into the heart of God day after day after day. You're not a healthy church if you just clean up all the doctrine and get the theology right but then don't have people with hearts to mediate that to the children that are in the back hallway who are in their first foray through this journey with Jesus and are learning about first communions and baptisms and making decisions to follow him all the days of their life so these earthen vessels and bodies we have to do our best And, and one way that I could say it is good old Arkansas language I'll be doggone if Kmart and McDonald's and Dell and Microsoft are going to build a better business to sell their stuff than we are to do the most holy business known in this world, to convey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it is that I'm sitting here today as the founding pastor of this local church, and I'm speaking on behalf not only of those whose heart it was to start this church, but I believe I'm speaking on behalf of God who is sustaining and building this church And there's no message that I can give throughout the year that's more important than this one. Because next to the family, I believe the local church is the most beautiful institution in creation. When the local church is done right, there is simply nothing better. Like the family, it can be an incredible source of our greatest joys. But like the family... Because those expectations are so high, I will admit to you that the church can be, with that capacity, it can be the source of some of our deepest disappointments, and many of you have had them. But what a local church does, and I'm vying for something that I believe in almost as much as I believe in God, not quite, but close what a local church when it's done right does is it gives you opportunity it gives you opportunity to experience true meaning real success lasting happiness it gives you it gives you the ability to contribute to an enterprise that's founded by God for the benefit of the world an enterprise that he a long time ago Lee said I'm going to build it I'm going to build my church. This is the day that I remind all of us, gifts and strength were given to you. Gifts and strength are the investment of God for the benefit, listen, for the benefit not only of yourself, but he gave you gifts and strength for the benefit of others. And those gifts are to be and and I say this as strong as I can, those gifts are to be realized gratefully and those gifts are to be deployed liberally in every area of your life. And as followers of Christ, there is no better place, I think, to do this than the local church family. And if you're looking to assure your participation in the world of meaning, if you're looking to ensure your participation in a world of lasting importance, there is no place, I'm telling you, Shelly and Lauren and, and everybody else who were up here today, I can tell them as volunteers, there is there is no place that you will be more appreciated, if not by human beings, by God. There's no place in this world, no institution, no business, no community that can provide those things more readily for you than a church. A local church for the good news of Jesus Christ is preached Where the good news of God's love is being taught and shared, where, where children are loved and dedicated and instructed and baptized. If you want a life of meaning and you want to do something with the gifts that God has given you and the strength that God has given you, then this place where meals are brought to grieving families where prayers are lifted by and on behalf of people who've never met. It amazes me, Don, that this thing that we aspired to 11 years ago in the living room, you and me and a few others, to think that there are people who will take Kyle and Darcy Malone's name and they may never meet them in a church as large as ours, and every day there are people who, who's going to put their names on their visor and when they pull it down in the morning. (laughs) A place where shoulders are offered to the weak, a place where deep relationships are nurtured, where people like Chris come up with seminars called Sacred Survival. And Chris Alicki, somebody will survive that wouldn't have. Somebody will live that wouldn't have. A place for life and that more abundantly is the real potential of every person who walks in the room. Sisters and brothers, in this place, in this Christ-honoring, people-valuing local church called Grace Point, you are offered an opportunity to get your hands dirty in some of the richest soil the universe has to offer. The church of the living God And one of my chief jobs as a pastor is to continually remind you incredible people. And you are incredible. We have teachers of the year and young men going halfway around the world and tons of folk in between. You are incredible people. And one of my chief jobs as your pastor is to continually remind you that each of you has as a part of your fundamental identity A responsibility to serve your fellow man. And in serving one another, I am called to remind you we are serving a God who one day is going to say, I was a stranger and you took me in. Luke, the 22nd chapter, verses 24 through 30, reading it from the message, mind you, this is the moment just after the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper and his crucifixion was to be within hours. He had washed their feet and Judas had left to betray him. And within minutes of that, they were bickering over who of them. There is a way to do church wrong. There is a way to do Christian community wrong. And we've all done it. It hadn't just been done to us. We've been a part of it. We've been a part of what is most beautiful about church and we've been a part of what's most disappointing about church. We're not all of the people who've got away from all of those people, we are those people. This stuff is in us, Brother Clyde, it's in us. But we've gotta learn, within minutes of the first Lord's Supper, within minutes of watching Judas sadly pad his way out of that place with wet feet from the Lord's washing, Within minutes, they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened. And Jesus said, kings like to throw their weight around, and people do in church too. People like me, people like you. Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles, like founding pastor. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you be like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? That's what's happening today. We're we're eating and being served. But we put this stuff up once a year to remind us that we have as a part of our fundamental identity, not just to be the served ones but we are called to be servants of Jesus Christ and that means one another verse 28 and you've stuck with me through thick and thin now I confer on you the royal authority of my father the same that he conferred on me so you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. The message today is that you are to eat and sit at God's table so that you might be strengthened to take up your place of service within the congregation of God's people. The local church is not a business whose sole purpose is to bless you. The local church is not a place that is simply a vendor to bless your independent life. The local church is a part of your identity and something that you are intended to be a functioning part of through both receiving and giving. I don't have time to look at it all on the screen, but let me just give you a few verses from Ephesians 4. I urge you to live the life to which God has called you. I urge you to play your part in the body of God. Verse 16, Christ holds us together and makes all of the body's parts work perfectly as it grows and becomes strong because of love. In the New Living Translation, listen, the body of Christ grows strong as each part does its own special work. And I want to ask you, have you found your special work in this church? I'm not asking you today, do you like the preaching and the singing and the kids program? I'm not asking you if you like your life group. I'm not asking you if you enjoy being prayed for and having your children baptized. I'm asking you today, that's all good stuff. You are here to eat, I'm asking you, have you found your special work here in this community? You say, well I've done that before and I'm just trying to sit for a while. I get that, but you can't sit forever. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Finally, I want to say something to you today that I try every year in various ways to say. And it bears repeating at least once a year. We need to remember this. Between Christmas and Easter, to be able to worship victoriously and to celebrate fully what all of this means. A local church goes through several stages on its way to becoming a thriving, prevailing, lasting community of faith. And like baby sea turtles, thousands are born and very few get to full viability. Local churches start aplenty But for a local community like us to get over the hump and become a thriving, prevailing, lasting community of faith, we've had to get through a few stages. And we're not through the final stage, but we've gotten through a couple. The first stage is the stage that I affectionately refer to as the era of blood, sweat, and tears. And most of you weren't here then, but some of you were. And that's no harm or foul. Some were, we were fortunate, Becky, to be there during the blood, sweat, and tears. This, uh, this phase of the church's life, and some of you have been in churches in the blood, sweat, and tears era. Um, Lee and Carol, y'all started churches and done the blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, this is also what I would call the all-hands-on-deck stage. In the earliest days of a church, I want to tell you about this church. I want to tell you about our history. It's not too long ago. It was just 11 years ago this coming May. So we're just a couple of months away from 11 years when we all gathered together. The reason we got off the ground and even went to Lipscomb Elementary is because while I was doing my stuff, Don Brooks was out beating on doors saying, can we use your place? Can we use your place? And Don wouldn't let it go until finally we'd been turned down by Lipscomb Elementary, but Don went back and went back, and finally we got Lipscomb Elementary. And we sat at that table, and everybody enjoyed it, but kudos to Don in the blood, sweat, and tears phase. He worked hard and found us a place. In the earliest days of a church, the church is birthed, nursed, and sustained. And I hope you hear every word I'm saying because I've measured every one of them. The early days of a church, a church is birthed, nursed, and sustained on the willing, committed, strong, and weary backs of a few people. The early members generally are those with the inspiration, the impetus of an initial vision and that initial vision is a high octane fuel and it drives them. They are marked, I will say this about that few dozen people who are the reason all of this is here, they are marked by a high level of commitment, inspiration and believe you me, buy in they don't have the luxury of specialization or of finding their perfect niche. None of us did. I was the chair brigade, you know that, for the first seven or eight years until it became ridiculous, until it became an addiction on my part and I had to let it go because it was no longer servanthood. My OCD kicked in and my built-in protractor and compass loved the chairs, but I had to let it go. But in the beginning, there was not the luxury of who has a gift of chairs, and Leela, who has a gift of congregational care, and who has a gift of children. We operated the way a new church does, and many new businesses. We operated by a nearest-to-the-broom mentality. In the early days of a church... The same people sing, teach, clean, set up, host, pray, direct traffic, stuff mailers, and provide pastoral care. They do it all. And I want to, this is so important. Sometimes they stay for the rewards of their faithfulness. Sometime they stay and are venerated and esteemed. Sometime they stay long enough, Jim, they have whole wings of the church named after them. But all too often, they don't make it that far. All too often, the blood, sweat, and tears folk actually end up leaving the church frustrated, hurt, and even feeling used. Now, some leave because they move. Some leave because they find a church that fits them better. But Dave Schwab, we know some leave hurt. Why? It's important for us to know. Because a fatal inertia can develop in the early days, which causes us to use the same folk with them doing and doing and doing and as the congregation expands we continue doing and doing and doing instead of expanding and sharing the vision with others and equipping new folk to share the load the backs get wearier and wearier and wearier and I want to say this it's not all the system and it's certainly not me the bad senior pastor all that's to blame here there's complicity you're an adult you have to set your own boundaries hadn't you read that book about boundaries but sometime in the early days of a church, we blow right through the boundaries. And in the beginning, in the beginning, you know that it's necessary to have this intense, vision-inspired group of people, this intense, vision-inspired founding mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers. But ultimately, it's not fair for them or the new folk to continue an unshared load but so often in churches we continue with an unshared load and we forget that to an extent Terry that it's not only lazy business but it's selfish spirituality and and you can hide behind doing the chairs for seven years by yourself and, and act in a feigned sense of humility like you're doing something right but didn't Jesus teach us it's more blessed to give than receive? And ultimately, if we really believe in the kingdom of reversals, for up is down and first is last, we got to give people an opportunity to give. And in the blood, sweat, and tears stage, sometimes we don't. Serving is supposed to be the way we are blessed, not burned. But sometimes people get burned. And I want to say this about the blood, sweat, and tears era. We did get through it because it can only last a certain amount of time, five years at best. If a church does not grow beyond blood, sweat, and tears, it'll die. It will bleed to death. But the church doesn't have to die, and a few people don't have to die to build the church if the church gains enough people and all of them are encouraged To give. And we got through blood, sweat, and tears, and all of you folk came along. And the second era of the church began. It's an era that most growing churches go through. It's called the expansion era, and it's an era marked by the growth of paid staff. And man. Were us blood and sweat, tears folk glad to get there? There was finally enough offering to hire Mark and Leela and Terry. And we moved into an era marked by the growth of a paid staff The hard work, the commitment, the vision of the initial group yields enough growth that finances begin to flow in and the blood, sweat, and tears people have worked hard enough. The church is growing and the funds allow for much needed relief in the form of paid staff. And the new staff comes in and the spirit of the place is blood, sweat, and tears. And instead of the, instead of us staff members, Instead of us doing probably what we should have done, we get overwhelmed by the beauty of the blood, sweat, and tears, and we join the blood, sweat, and tears, and very soon, 40-hour weeks turn into 75-hour weeks. And the new staff assumes the responsibility of the blood, sweat, and tears folk coordinating them. And while we should be expanding the volunteer service base to include all the new folk that are coming, let me tell you about two besetting sins of initial church staffs who are inspired by the blood, sweat and tears folk. We're not meaning to do something wrong, we're inspired. But if there's one besetting sin of church staffs, it's that we all too often become doers instead of equippers. And if there's a second besetting sin, the second sin is we keep using the blood, sweat and tears folk because they've already proven that they can get the job done, they've already signed up and they're willing and they're able And all these new folk have come and they've left churches and they want to just rest a while and so we enable that and the paid staff just extends the blood, sweat and tears era. Bill Hybels calls this the steroid era of the church when we're pumped full of the drug of resources and finances and staff and we do it now through the staff and the ratios continue corrupting. You've heard of Pareto Principle, 2080, The ratios continue to corrupt. And finally there's a price to pay with a church that's not using their gifts who is dependent and spoiled on a paid staff to do the work of the ministry and you end up burning out vocational ministers or going back to the people and inordinate percentages begin to increase because you have to hire more and more people to do the work of the ministry. And it's Paul Shepard, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. And it never was the model of the New Testament church. And as my dad said to me, I I don't come from a preacher world. I don't come from preacher families. I come from a line of just wonderful saints in the church. And my dad used to say, son, I'll tell you, the preachers always blame it on the people. But he said, I'll tell you, behind every bad saint, there's a bad preacher somewhere. And my dad told me, he said, you know, one of the biggest problems that I've seen in my life in the church is I'll never forget this. He said unused fruit. I'll never forget this analogy. It didn't come from a preacher or seminary or divinity school. It came from my dad who was a saint like you. And he had all kinds of giftings. But he lived in a world where there was a fraternity of preachers and staff. You remember that world, Mark? Your dad was that. I mean, He, he ran that. He was in that. He was us. My dad said, son, as sweet as fruit can be, if it goes uneaten, it gets rotten. And he said, I'm telling you, there's a lot of trouble in the church because of unused fruit. It becomes embittering to have giftings and to be pressed for their usage and to never find a place to yield them. Well, this I know. Having come through those two stages and trying to get out of the second one, having days like this because this church in its maturity, (laughs) we've gotten to the sea, We're, we're not one of the thousands of baby turtles that don't make it. Hey, in the last 20 years in this corridor, 130 churches have tried to start. Five have made it to campus viability. You've done a good job, but we're not in the clear yet. We're not, we're not, Brentwood United Methodist or First Baptist Brentwood. We haven't made it fully to First Presbyterian or Christ United Methodist. We're not quite over the hump to to be that Christ-honoring place that can survive beyond the personality of its first preacher, to be a Christ-honoring place that can thrive and become more than just a place where we come and eat for a little while. You cannot build a thriving, healthy, prevailing local church on blood, sweat, and tears or a paid staff. Those backs will ultimately break. And the church will grind to a stop in terms of growth and a church will even begin to recede. Advancement will begin to be replaced with retreat. Budgets will become problematic. Cuts will be made and if it's lucky, it will find a place of static survival and management and getting by. But this doesn't have to happen. To keep this from being our fate, Sundays like this are as important as Easter, and if we really got it, We'd have as big a crowd on volunteer Sunday as we do on Easter. You say, well we didn't even know it was volunteer Sunday. You're right, I didn't tell you because the last two times I've told, the crowd was down. So we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But I look around and I don't see a bunch of people who don't love one another, I don't see a bunch of people still clamoring for the shadows to hide. I see people who are beginning to find the rhythm and the etiology of this thing called grace point and it's beginning to get a sense of who it is and you're committed to that. To keep status quo, static receding life as being our fate We as a church have got to take these green signs as seriously as we take a vested cross and an open tomb. Because all of these signs are about that business. They are what make the business of the proclamation of the gospel possible. We've got to move into the equipping era. I've got to close, but let me just say this quickly the equipping era, listen everybody, this is you. If you're, if you're not hearing me, then we're not gonna get it and we won't make it. We'll make it as long as I can pull a, 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 a song and dance and a, a dog and pony show and have a few talented people around me that you put enough money in the offering plate for us to manage medium sized salaries. But that's not a prevailing church. A prevailing church is not a church that shows up in mass on Easter and then when it hears Volunteer Sunday is coming. You know that time when we sign up to pray for couples and young men that are going across the water, the time when we sign up people not to use their gifts but to use their elbow grease to help clean around this place. Why? Because we try to save budget, because we don't have enough budget for a full-time person in that area and because we still think there might be something beautiful about giving people an opportunity to give back. The equipping era is the era when leadership and membership mutually, us together, recognize that the tasks have become too many and too big for a few highly committed people, blood, sweat, and tears folk, or paid staff to accomplish. And the church either realizes this or ceases to grow, but if it realizes it, the sky is the limit, brothers and sisters. But era two, Always grinds to a stop purely because of economics, and we're there. There is no more staff to add based upon our economy, and you're either going to have to kick it up or there will even be staff to lose. Era two will grind to a stop every time because of economics. And it's a good thing. Tom, it's God's way, leading us by his Holy Spirit, to ensure and remind us that you cannot hire your way to a New Testament Christ-honoring church. You cannot hire your way into a fully functioning New Testament body of Christ. The people who came early gave at a high level, they gave at a high enough level that 400 of them did an $8 million project. I can't imagine with 1,800 people doing a 400 or an $8 million project now. I look back at that mark and say, how? And bigger than that, I look back and say, wow, thank y'all. Thank you. The people who came early naturally give it a higher level. There's no condemnation there. They they had a huge buy-in with a lot of ownership and vestedness. And it takes a while for new attendees to capture that level of vision and sacrifice. I get it. But as the church grows... Pure need will become the driving force in moving to this new and healthier era where every one of you take responsibility for your church and realize that you have your own special work to do and your own part to play in this body. We are there. The New Testament church was designed from the get go to be a voluntary, intensive body. And I'm telling you, not just for the sake of this corporate church, but for the sake of your own soul, the satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from giving and living outside of your own need is part of spiritual maturity. The Apostle Peter called it the priesthood of the believer. And I see us as a church on days like this, moving into, by God's grace and our resolve, the era of equipping and empowering. we paid and unpaid staff, full-time, part-time, volunteer labor forces, ministry forces, where the lines will be blurred between us and we will be one functioning, coordinated, flourishing community of mutual care and responsibility. And the last thing that I would say to you is, there are, Joe Malone, we saw it just the other day. You sit here for years at the table and Joel Malone just kept telling us a few years ago, I have something to give, I have something to give, I have something to give. I don't know how much longer, and a few weeks ago we saw the fruit of your giftings. 35 of our women were blessed, and I think a ministry is going to begin out of it. And still, I, I still hear them talking about it, but I want to say this about Joel. I don't know how much longer with fruit that sweet, you could have sat here without that starting to feel a little bit turned. There are types and levels of expertise, giftings, and talents sitting in these chairs that do not exist in our professional paid staff, and we are responsible to steward the gifts and resources God has given us, and our greatest resource is you. And I've watched in the last two years from a small staff to a larger staff to a realm of deacons and lay pastors to 20 life group leader couples to uh, 10 elders ordained to directors of children's ministry becoming ordained pastors. I just, we're sitting on something that is a keg of beauty here and it's about to blow if we'll just play our cards right, our hearts right. You have, a chance to be, you have a chance to experience being a player in the greatest experience the universe has ever known outside of the family, and that's the Church of Jesus Christ. And we have a chance right here, right now, to do something special together, and I just wanted to tell you that every one of you matter. And I can't preach any better, they can't sing any better, We can't staff any better. This church will go to the next level when you figure out whether it's a gift and if you can't find your particular gift on these walls, find your elbow grease. It's not all about giftings. Stan Jr. wants to Bring his giftings to the Mitchell house, and we appreciate all the giftings that Stan Mitchell Jr. brings, but we also tell him, we need some of your elbow grease, and I am very aware that making the bed is not your spiritual gift, (laughs) but to make a homework, it's not all about giftings. It's about elbow grease and strength. And I don't know if we're going to find your gift like we did Joe's in the next three weeks, or Amy's, who's on our worship team and has been from the beginning. I don't know. You have gifts. Try to find that place. If you can't find that place, be humble enough to follow your Lord down to the feet of people. I don't know if Jesus felt like feet washing was his gift, but it was his ministry, and it built the church of Jesus Christ. And so all I'm asking you to do today is consider before you leave here and one more time walk away from this table full. I'm asking you to consider a way to give back. Whether it's a cleaning team or a prayer team or a meal team or a youth team. Take five minutes before you walk out of here and look at these tables. We're going to leave them up next week. Think about it. And find a way to connect. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a good day. Thank you for an important day between Christmas and Easter. Thank you, Lord, for the blood, sweat, and tears folk. We will forever be indebted to them. Thank you, Lord, for the paid staff who probably all have giftings beyond what they're paid. No, they do. Thank you, Lord, for the move of your spirit among us that is provoking all of us right now at your encouragement. Oh, you foot washer. Lord of lords, king of kings, and foot washer of foot washer. To find our place to give back and make this place the Christ-honoring church that you dreamed it to be. We pray these things now, Lord, trusting you to lead us in that way. In Christ's name, amen. Now, God bless you. Here's the altar call. Spend some time. Sign up. Get involved. Walk around. Shake the hands of the people who are already involved and thank them and join them there. God bless you. You're dismissed after you go to the tables.